your good hands. Fiora. Lacroix closing fast. Fiora Del did Cerno's well. Del come on and he's forward. He's got ahead of the pack. One more goal might finish it. How far can Del Cerno go? It's one-on-one -on -one inside the 50. He's going for it. Del Cerno goes for home. That might be the killer blow. Special guest is Nick Del Santo, who was a 300-game player, 260 of those uh, with the Saints, uh, was a part of that. Uh, the crop that came through in the early 2000s had a very interesting start to his career, but, but certainly settled into AFL level very, very quickly, and, and a favourite son, and has launched a, a very good media career post his playing days. Uh, Del, thanks for, for jumping on. Great to have you on this time. Thanks to, uh, for finally being able to catch up. It's been quite a while and very interrupted last year with everything going on in the world, but it's nice to be able to sit here on the cusp of another season. So very exciting times. Politics at play as well. But I wanted to, to touch on the, the start of your career. Before we get onto the background, I think it's been underrated. I guess the first two games of your career couldn't have been more unusual. So your, your debut, to the best of my knowledge, was a, a blowout against Geelong at Kidinia Park. You kicked a, a yeah. ripper of a goal in the last quarter. So a, an ugly start. But then your second game was... Memorable in a bizarre sense, the draw against Sydney. You had a very good day yourself. And, and I guess on retrospect, that was a bit of a launching pad for the Saints. There was yourself and Milne and Rewalt and Baker and Maguire. But I can't imagine too many players would have had a more unusual start across their first two games. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it is almost like a walk down memory lane. So we bring back some good memories and maybe some emotional memories as well. But, yeah, so that was round four. So my first game was round four, 2002. I got drafted the end of 2001, so in December, I believe that it was. So I've been at the club for only a few months. And from memory, we had a heap of injuries. And I can't remember exactly how many it was, but it was something like there was 26 to pick from or around that number. So I was really fortunate to get a game um, early on. I think I'd played one or two VFL games. And I remember one of them was in Bendigo at the QEO. And I grew up in Bendigo, so that was a nice sort of comfortable start to senior football because I hadn't played a great deal of uh, any form of senior football, even in the country. I'd only played, I think, five or six games of senior footy. So it was a, a quick step up in regards to the body size and the speed and all those things we hear about. So I played that first game, you're right, against the Cats down there at, um, I don't even know what it was called at the time, at the Cattery, we'll call it, um, in 2002. We lost by 122 points. Uh, the Cats absolutely thumped us. And I think I had seven disposals. And I remember I was the only person from the Saints to kick a goal in the second half. So it was sort of like this baptism of fire. But I've said this numerous times, and there's a few people still at the club that remember me saying, I had the time of my life. It's crazy. Um, I started on the bench, and I remember people said, oh, why were you smiling? I said, well, I was getting to play footy. Like, it was pretty cool. We got absolutely thumped. And then you're right as well, mate. The next week we played Sydney at Etihad Stadium, and we trained the whole week um, as a closed session. This is going back 20-odd years where you didn't really have closed sessions. There was no really, you know, no secrets really going on. And we practiced for two or three main training sessions about flooding. So we practiced kicking the ball into your forward line, for example, and it was a structured drill, and then acting like it was a turnover, and then getting 18 guys behind the football as fast as you could. Now, we see that a little bit more with the modern game, you know, but you have the forward press and everything that goes with it. And I reckon we were up by four or five goals, I reckon, at three-quarter time from memory. And I reckon it was 
Creswell? Darren Creswell, yep. Creswell, I reckon, who kicked a couple in the last quarter. Mm-hmm. We basically had, we dominated the game and all our tactics had been working and we're up by quite a good margin. And then all of a sudden they kicked five or six in the last quarter. And that was my second game of footy. And I reckon I just turned 18 and I had a shot after the siren. I received a free kick about 60 out from goal. And never in my life have I been able to kick that far anyway. So good luck when I was, you know, a skinny, scrawny kid trying to make that distance. And I, I got onto the barrel in that last kick after the siren and it landed about 10, 15 short, I reckon. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting game. Then the following week, you speak about that group coming through, days. That following week, which must have been about round six. five or six, whatever it worked yeah. out to be, I reckon it was Matty Maguire's first game and Lee Montagna's first game. We played the Pies and we lost by about 93 points. So in the space of three games, I've lost by 122, had a draw, and then lost by about 93. So it was a, an unusual start. Yeah, I was actually I was pretty much seeding right behind the points for that that moment. I'm going hands up, kickety. So point would have been good enough. I was trying. Uh, <laughs> um, but you, yeah, you mentioned all these players that you moved in with. How, how did you? I guess did you blend more with the players that you moved in with, or did you sort of? latch on to an older player and go, yeah. okay, follow what they did or yeah, which way which way did you more lean to go? Probably a combination of both. And I'll give you a few examples. So my year there was six of us drafted and Luke Ball, Xavier Clark, this is in draft order, myself, Maddie Maguire, Lee Montagna, and Josh Houlihan, the youngest of the Houlihan brothers. And a few of us were from interstate and a few of us from were from the country. So I moved in with a family, uh, like a host family. But it was also a different time and I still speak to some current players and it's just a different dynamic now. But in regards to that young group, we spent every minute of every day together for well, pretty much 12 years in the end, like pretty much our whole footy careers that we trained together during the day and the training structure was a little bit different to what it is now. But we, we could have one or two hours off for lunch where we'd go sit down and have lunch all together and it was more than just the six of us. It would be 15 to 20. Go back and do your afternoon session at the football club but because we're all sort of in Melbourne or at a home for the first time, we'd go for dinner, we'd go to the movies, we'd go to someone's house. It was really just stay at home and um, not that we weren't resting, but it was never just stay at home and chill out. It was sort of let's always do something together. And you instantly get along with guys. You know, Maddie Maguire's from Geelong, ripping fella. Joshy Houlihan was from the country, great kid. Um, Joey Montagna was living at home. Luke Ball was in year, set, uh, year 12. Um, so there's a few in Xavier Clark's from Darwin. So we sort of had all these dynamics. But within that, we also had Rewald and Kaczynski, who were the draft before us, who were living together at the time. Um, so you sort of also had these other group of guys. Lenny Hayes was only three or four years older than us. Stephen Baker was living like an 18-year-old anyway. So we were drawn to him. Milne, Still does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bakes is who he is. And Milne's the life of the party. So all of a sudden, you, send us, you, you tend to spend all your time with the guys. Um, but there's also a significant change. This is through Grant Thomas, who needs a lot of credit in regards to the way that, you know, he did a lot of things right. But one thing that he sort of took away, or he definitely took away, was like a pecking order. There was no hierarchy. Um, Robert Harvey, Nathan Burke, Stuart Lowe, um, even Aaron Hamill, who was a bit younger, Fraser Garrick, as good as they were... They were so receptive to the need for young guys to come through. That was my take on it. And all the hierarchy that had probably been there in the past was just gone. And it had to go. If we were going to be any good, it had to go. So we sort of walked in, not with a swagger, but 
with no intimidation, feeling like you have to sort of wait your turn or let's just see how training goes. It's sort of just get thrown in the deep end and, you know, you've got to find a way to swim. Uh, a little bit earlier than that, what was the, the draft process like for you? Because obviously now, you know, I think we all know that that process has changed for, for kids coming through Year 12 and TAC Cup and that yeah. stuff is different now to what it was 20 or 25 years ago. But was you were drafted with one of the picks that, that the club got for trading Barry Hall. Yeah. Um, and obviously there are a couple of handy handy guys picked in the, in the first couple of picks that everyone knows about. But um, did you speak to the club beforehand? What, what was that process like for you? Yeah, well, the first of the, the other part of that, is um, a lot of kids get scholarships these days. So a lot of them are being based out of Melbourne at some of the most prestigious schools, you know, in Victoria, in the country. No one knocked on my door. I went to a public high school. <laughs> Maybe I was no good as a kid. I went to a public high school in Bendigo and knew nothing about the private school system. Um, and clearly there was not the same attention to what they have now. Like a young guy coming through, and you look at last year with Jamara Ugelhagen and... Uh, we all know his name, you know, a lot about him growing up. And, you know, you go back through all the drafts, everyone's very well known. That just wasn't the case. And I'll a quick example. I knew of a guy called Chris Judd, who was who was my year. We know who he is now. I knew he was a guy that lived near the ocean because he played for Sandringham Dragons and he had sore shoulders. And I had, I honestly had no more knowledge about the great Chris Judd than that when I was coming through. So I was drafted at 17. He was 18, but... I'm tucked away out, out there in Bendigo and we're playing and we played in the grand final my um, TAC Cup final year. But we just had no interaction, obviously no social media. So I did the draft. Uh, so I made the under-17 Australian team, which sort of you know gives you some sort of perspective that you're going okay, but still trying to find your place and with no sort of indication along the way. No one ever said to me I was going to be a first-round draft pick. No one ever said that to me. Um and I remember, so I did the draft um, combine or draft camp. It was in Canberra. I met with 17 clubs and the only club I didn't meet with was Essendon. And I was an Essendon supporter growing up. Now, they had pick 18. They had pick 18 that year. Um, so I, in hindsight, I don't know if they felt like maybe I wasn't going to get there, but I never knew that. I just remember thinking the only club I haven't met with is the club that I was barracking for at the time. Um, and then... Met Johnny Beveridge a few times. He drove to Bendigo at least once to meet my family and still to this day messages me every now and then and still remembers my mum and dad's name and I've got two younger sisters. He's just got this incredible ability to connect with people and I remember he was one of probably six to eight clubs, I reckon, that came to Bendigo and you instantly get that feeling that, well, if it is St Kilda, I didn't know a great deal about the Saints, if it is St Kilda, life's going to be okay. You're in a good place. There's good people there. Um, but that was the, that was basically it. I'd agreed. I met with a few managers leading into the draft, and I said to them, "If I do get drafted, and I ultimately had to pick one, I said I'll go with you, and I had to say no to the others." But it's not like I locked in a manager before the draft saying, "Hey, when my name gets read out, we're on." It was sort of like, "Well, if I do, let's um, let's sign something off after that." So obviously, the, the club. Developed pretty quickly under Grant Thomas. So they won 11 games in 2003 and, and then played back-to-back prelims in 04, 05. Dominant at the start of 04, dominant at the end of, of 05. Do you look at one of those in particular as, as more of a missed opportunity? I mean, 04 on paper looks like a better year, but you get yeah. the feeling that 05 was tracking the right way. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I was, I was 20 years old in um, 04 and... I mean, we had every, talk about that prelim, for example, we had every chance 
to win that prelim against Port Adelaide over there. Um, I remember there was the Brink Guerra missed kick off the ground or something real late. Tracy Garrick obviously kicks his 100th goal at the start of that game or early on the game and changed the momentum a little bit. I think Aaron Hamill got injured from memory that year as well, so we missed him for a substantial amount of time. And I'll keep referencing Aaron Hamill for the impact that he had on us as a young group. Like his standards, you speak about forward pressure and chasing and all that sort of stuff. He invented that in my mind. Like not many people were doing that, you know, 20 years ago. He was he based his game on pressure and it just set an amazing example for everybody else at our club. Um, uncompromising. And I think someone like Nick Rewatts benefited from him more than almost anybody else. He just became the way that Rui trained and lived. Um, 05 was a missed opportunity. I probably remember that one a little bit clearer. Maybe I was a year older and understood the game a little bit more. But um, I remember we're up by maybe two goals, three goals at three-quarter time against the Sydney Swans at the uh, MCG. I mean, Snyder kicked a couple in the last quarter and I think they beat us comfortably, maybe three goals in the end. That was a missed opportunity. I remember thinking about that one sort of almost in hindsight or or talking about 09 and 10, that I think if we had at least experienced a grand final in, say, 05 or 04, would we be better for it? Well, there's no guarantee, but I think it would have been something for us to sort of say, well, we've experienced grand final week, we know what the grand final day was like, and coming so close for two years in a row, yeah, it might have made a difference, but it may not have as well. Yeah, I was going to give the comparison between those two teams you sort of go back and look back at those areas and go okay look it was it, it was kind of the same team but you think of the few players who were brought in after say as you just mentioned Schneider um the two teams you compare them next to each other if you were to go back and say okay I'd go back and have another crack with that side or go back and have a, another crack with that side which one would you sort of go yep that, that's the one that we go Let's let's have another grow with that team. It was like a, a better dynamic or a better better structure, or which which one's the one that you preferred? Oh nine, oh nine was I think our best team. Um, it, it just clicked. I feel like we had everything that we sort of needed balance wise, and I still reference this today when we're talking about certain clubs. You know, you sort of got all the pieces to the puzzle. You've got the inside ball winners. You've got the outside users. You got a four line and a defence, and it all just works systematically. I thought 09 was our best team, and I know technically we probably came a little bit closer in 10, um, which we can talk about later on as well if you want. But I, I thought that was our best year as a team. It, everything worked. You know, we brought in that forward press, which we've been training all day, every day for the whole summer. Um, and then instantly, round one, I think we played Sydney Swans first up at Etihad Stadium in 2009. And I reckon then we played the Western Bulldogs in round two. Don't quote me, but I think it was round two. And I remember for one of the very few times I could honestly say, I could look at the opposition's face when they were trying to get the ball out of our forward line and we had our press on and you could just see they didn't know what to do. That They'd never faced anything like we were putting on them. So I thought 09 was our best year and our best team. Um, but by saying that, I mentioned Aaron Hamill. There's probably a couple of players I'd like to steal from 04 and 05 mm. as well and, and bring him in. I'm sure they'd get a game somewhere. Um, but out of all those years where we were around the mark, 09 was our best team. Now, that 09-10 generation, I guess you'd call it, you hear often about the, the bond and the closeness of the group and, and guys, yourself and Rui and uh, Lenny and, and those guys. 
Yeah. What do you put that down to? And, and how do you describe something like that that's almost undescribable for anyone who's not there? Yeah, it's um, I mean, we talk about it a, a bit, and obviously it gets brought up with us quite often because people are interested in it, particularly St Kilda supporters. Um, to be complete, I don't know how to probably describe it. It's it maybe it's maybe it's the buzzwords like respect or um, an understanding about what we went through. Now we've also said this publicly before that we treat each other like the way we catch up with each other, like you have one a premiership because it's not about the premiership, it's more about the people and we have to accept that because obviously we don't have anything to show for it regarding a medallion or any silverware. Um, I think Grant Thomas was a huge part of that when we were young, that there was an understanding. We spent so much time together. I mean, we went on training camps before training camps were cool and yet everyone had to do it. I mean, we went to London. I'll give you an example. We went to London 2003, I think it was, pre-season for three weeks. The next year we went to South Africa for a training camp for three weeks. We went to China. We, we sort of did all these things. And as much as it was brutal, some of the hardest training sessions you'll ever do, you know, some of them are at altitude or you know, freezing cold, whatever it may have been, but it was about bonding. And as much as we trained our backsides off every day, we were first to have a beer together every night as well and sit around and have dinner. But my experiences from all of that was we never excluded anybody. Even in 2009 and 10, when everything was going perfectly, I'd like to think that the other guys would say this, they weren't playing seniors the whole time. If we were going to catch up for a beer, for example, on the weekend, we made sure it was on a day when everybody could be there. It was never the 25 or 6 that were playing seniors or a possibility of playing seniors. It was, hey, let's find a day where there's 45 that can get there, including coaches. So there was never this, in my opinion, and once again, I'm hoping that I'm not wrong, there was never any separation with this it was you know you want to come for lunch that was sort of open to anybody that was that wanted to come get a feed you know you want to come for dinner and it wasn't unusual to get 20 25 guys that would that would do that so it was just easy I can't remember ever being difficult or anyone ever you know not wanting to spend time with almost anybody at the club and and clearly on top of that is the guys that you did a lot of work with being the senior players and um, but you've got an appreciation of what they've done you hope that they've got the same of you and we catch up at least once a year, sort of formally. You know, we try and catch up at least once a year. Last year we didn't um, for obvious reasons. And we'll get 25, 30 people there, including some coaches, some staff members, and it's sort of like the old days. You sit down and have some beers and have a lunch and, I don't know, we don't have anything to necessarily celebrate. It's just we just appreciate each other and just enjoy each other's company. It's always been like that. Has that helped you make peace with that in a sense? Are there moments where that's challenged where you think yeah. based on all of that, the closeness, the performance, the effort, how good we were, that there's a small part of you that thinks, well, well why didn't that occur? Or, or is that has that been enough to sort of, as you say, I think Rewalt's often said when the head hits the pillow at night, you know that you gave everything you could and, yeah. and that's enough? Or, or are there moments that do drift back? It's a conflicting one, Daz, to be completely honest, and maybe because I work in the media and you know, I love analysing football and I love watching football and, you know, clearly support the Saints and you keep an eye on some mates you've got at other football clubs that you're acutely aware that you don't have what you want. You know, I often wonder, oh, I've got mates that are in the corporate sector and really successful and I look at them sometimes, I'm like, I wonder if it, you know, ticks them off like it does me at times. Um, I mean, we're going back 10 or 11 years now, but those emotions, like when you talk about it, I mean, finals and grand final week in particular in Melbourne is such a good feeling but 
my feelings towards it are conflicted again because, you know, I, and, but I also wonder would my life be any different if we had have won it? I think I'd feel more complete. You know, I think that's my honest answer that I know that I'll never get it, but there's a piece of that part of my life that's gone that I'll never be able to get back that, you know, I played for 15 years and all I wanted was one. You, you know, you've got guys that have got four and three and two. I was like, I just wanted one. I'm like, is that too much to ask for at times? Um, but by that, by saying that, I do agree with Rui though. Like we could not have done much more. You know, it just didn't go our way. We just didn't execute what we had to do on, you know, three occasions, but two in particular being, you know, the first of 09 and 10 grannies. So you look looking back at team um, efforts and situations here, is, is there something that you can look back in your career as an individual and sort of go, hey, I'm proud of that. This this is something that really stands out in what I did or yeah. something, something that you really, you'll, you'll tell your grandkids in years to come, hey, this is what I did. A little bit. I mean, I've got three young kids and I try, try and tell them that I was once I was okay and I could actually go for a jog and kick a footy and they don't really seem to care that much. Now, you, you know what? I mean, yeah, yes, a little bit. But it's also probably more what you're talking about, being part of the collective and being part of that era which brought a lot of joy to St Kilda people. And it's more than probably 09 and 10. It's probably dating back to probably 04. Um, and I get a real buzz out of, you know, someone stopping you at the shopping centre and saying, hey, you know, appreciated what you did, you know, 10 years ago, yada, yada. You guys love the team that you had. That's when you wish that they had something to hold on to as well. And I used to feel a responsibility to no one in particular, but just to support us, just the, the feeling that people are coming to watch us. And, you know, the notion that, you know, when women were playing, I'm, I'm in my mid-20s and you've got an impact on people's lives that are adults. You know, I'm in my mid to late 30s now and there was people that used to admire you that were my age now. And you're like, I'm sort of admiring your kid. Like it's sort of a, a bit of a weird concept, but I, I do the same thing now and it makes perfect sense. But when they have those conversations or bring up, you know, some individual stuff that you did, you go, yeah, it's really nice. I just wish that you could have enjoyed a premiership with us, you know, and actually been able to look back on a time and say, hey, it was a great 10-year period and we got something out of it. Um, but in regards to individual stuff, I mean, the amount of games that I've played is nice and people often reference that, particularly in the media. Um, I think there'll be a time the All-Australians I probably appreciate a little bit more. Like I'm, I'm proud of that. Like I you know, to be in three teams I'm proud of. Um, some placings in the Brownlow are always nice, but at the end of the day, it's always sort of almost awards rather than anything, hey, here's the medal for it. Dale, we've spoken to a few of your contemporaries from, from those teams in 09 and 10, and it's always a little bit awkward when you talk about specifics of those days, but you brought up 2010, so I'm going to ask you this one. <laughs> it's your fault. But you, you were around the ball in those last few seconds of, of the first week, the, the first grand final in 2010. Do yeah. you remember what those that minute was like before the siren and what was going through your head and, and those emotions? Um, I remember the siren going. I remember the siren going and I was on the ground. There'd been a boundary throw in pretty much in front of the bench or in front of the members' stance. I remember that specifically. I remember the confusion about when the siren went, knowing that it was a draw, but we've never spoken about a draw. I mean, the last draw was in the 70s, so we'd never spoken about, you know, do we come back next week? And we used to always use the term internally about hours of work per week. So once you sort of know that you're playing, you're going to be playing finals, you, you know, if there's five weeks to go, for example, in the season, you say you've got 10 hours of work. 
let's focus on the first two hours being that week and then that's how we worked through. So even going into those grand finals, it was round 26 and we had two hours of work to do that could ultimately change your life or, you know, get you what you wanted. But as soon as that siren goes, you're like, oh, well, what do we do now? We've never spoken about the next week. And then quickly you realise or we're told that you have to come back. I can't remember, and this is weird, and not that I was in the zone in regards to, you know, you're getting a million touches and everything's going right, but I was so sort of focused that I can't, and maybe as a midfielder as well, I can't remember the bounce. I don't remember the Milne bounce being as significant as it was. You go back to 2009, I can't remember the um, Maddie Scarlet toe poke. Like, clearly I'm probably watching it, but because you're probably thinking of everything, I don't remember the significance of those moments. Um, but nah, no, nothing specifically clear. I remember the ball would have gone through after the Milne bounce, for example, and then you're thinking, get in position, find a man. It was obviously a, a quick kick in from Lenny, so don't have a time to set up a zone. So what's your responsibility? And then I remember thinking that boundary throw, and the only bit that I remember thinking, this has got to be perfect. We've got to get through here. And I can't remember exactly where that ball was tapped. It's, I think someone went up third man, but it wasn't a clear breakaway into space and it being bobbled away and, around and then the siren went. It's funny that you say that even from a fan's point of view. Like, obviously, having seen the Goddard mark since, you appreciate it for what it is. But I remember yeah. at the grounds not appreciating it for that because it was almost a case of scores are level, we need a mark, we've got a yeah. mark, we'll score. It yeah. wasn't anything other than that. It was just this had to happen, it happened, okay, what happens next? And yeah, well, I remember sort Goddard. of relate a little bit. I'm yeah. with you on the Goddard mark. I remember it happening. I don't remember it being a spectacular grab. And I remember jogging back to the centre circle after he kicked it and organising our centre square structure. That's how quickly it was sort of out of your mind and never going, well, that's one of the greatest marks in finals history and that might get us the win and all the sort of scenarios that play out after it. I remember going back to the centre square and trying to minimise the risk of the opposition and then trying to think, how can we get this footy out of the centre square? Now... Obviously, you had now 11, 12, and thirteen. I think clearly, if you, if you win a premiership, that becomes very different in the aftermath. Uh, I think everyone would agree that life would be different. A for the club, it would probably be different for yourself and Goddard and McAvoy and all of these other people. Yeah. Can you sort of take us through, in your minds, that the struggle, if you will, after that, the last year of Ross and then the, the Scott Waters era, that, that would be your your last before going to North? Yeah. So ten was harder than nine. The whole year, like nine. Nine wasn't smooth in regards to just rock up and get it done. Like we were diligent, preparing, you know, we, we didn't socialise like we probably should have. Like we weren't having a party on the weekends after winning, you know, games of footy. We were pretty locked in to, to almost a feeling of don't want anyone to catch us because things were going, you know, really well. We win 19 in a row. Um, 10 was a lot harder. I remember the year not being as easy as what nine was, even in regards to the win-loss. Um it just felt like it was a lot more work. You know, we, we maybe we weren't as good as we were in 09. Teams were working us out a little bit and same with, um, you know, the, the opposition, but maybe getting better. Um, Collingwood were definitely better in 2010. They'd taken that sort of forward press, press to another level. 11 was a tough year. Um, you, know, you know, in hindsight, we probably peaked at 9 and 10 and then 11's a little bit of a reality check and just trying to work out... Um, who we are and, you know, how we can be around the mark again. We just scraped into finals and then ultimately lost to Sydney in that first final at Etihad Stadium. And then and that was the year that Rossi made quite a few changes um, after the game. And then a week or so later, he goes to Frio. 
And that was sort of end of that sort of era. That sort of group had done so much work together. I mean, Rob Eddy, Rob Eddy's, you know, not the greatest footballer, but was just so valued for what he did. You know, he was just you know, a workhorse and covered blokes' backside. So then when you get those guys that were sort of moving on and a handful of others, I think Bakes was included in that, maybe Gardner as well from memory, it sort of changes the dynamic of everything. But it probably needed to happen, you know what I mean? Like maybe not in the manner that it did, but um, the days of everything sort of clicking and just knowing exactly how everything should fall into place, it was it was a lot more work. But by saying that, I mean, it's never easy anyway. We just weren't winning. It was just a different year. Now, it's, I was just going to go back another year to 09. You talk about 09 being a little bit easier and that sort of thing, but round 14, going in against Geelong, this, this, the game comes up on Fox footy quite often, as you probably know. Yeah. Um, how was that day? I mean, being there as a fan, you just sort of go, you've never felt this place like this before. Yeah. It's just, it was just buzzing. The, yeah. We got out to an absolute flyer. Geelong came back. Guardy takes a big mark at the end, yeah. kicks the goal, gets us over the line. I mean, yeah. just how was that day in the lead up to it? And afterwards, it, it just um, trying to contain ex- the excitement of the win or anything? Yeah, a little bit of all of it, to be honest with you, but... I mean, I still get this feeling sometimes when I watch other sports or I watch, um, you know, even Richmond or Dustin Martin, for example, you know, winning three Norm Smith. You just think they go out and do it. But when you're in that moment, you're preparing like normal. So the whole week is a normal preparation. And I was just touching on before about that two hours of work. That's all we sort of ever did. Now, I can't remember. I I remember the game being electric. Like it was just a... and I watched it, you know, a couple of times in, you know, well, every year it comes up on Foxwood all the time. It's one of the best games ever. Um, but to be completely honest, when you're in that moment and maybe as a midfielder again, you sort of miss a lot of the detail or the the cool stuff that happens within the game. I can still remember bits and pieces throughout that game. I remember Sam Fisher, I reckon it was in the first quarter, intercepting a mark um, in front of Cameron Ling and then kicking a goal from about 35 on the run. Like There's little bits and pieces I remember throughout the whole game. Um, I, I had Cameron Ling as an opponent, so I remember little bits and pieces about stoppages and you know all that sort of stuff. But I probably enjoy it more in hindsight as well, like everybody else. So I look at that game, you know, I watched it in the last couple of months and thinking, geez, look at the, the quality of the game's pretty cool. Look at the space. You got to respect Geelong as well. Like they were, they were an awesome team and still are, to be honest with you as well. Um, but the build-up was probably bigger outside of us because we still had to do the work. You know, we still have to go in, you know, run 14Ks and get bumped and try and kick goals and all that that goes with it. But I love it more in hindsight and look back at it now and go, that was a pretty cool game to be a part of. You mentioned the end of that 2011 season and obviously Ross departing and and that was kind of the start of the, the Scott Waters era, I guess you could call it. What was that transition like? Obviously, you were one of the older players, one of the senior players in, in the squad at yeah. that point. And obviously that period kind of led to your departure from the club. What was that couple of years like under Scott and, and how did that transition happen to you departing the footy club? Yeah, it was it was difficult and it was really different. And whoever was going to come in after Ross, for us as in those senior players, was probably always going to be up against it. Um, we'd had a, a bond and a connection with Rossi who'd been a part of, I think it was maybe, it was only probably five or six years, which is probably a good tenure when you look at, you know, the average AFL coach these days. But um, we'd had Grant Thomas that we'd all sort of grown up with when we were 
new and just getting into it. Then you've got someone like Ross Lyon who's got all the structure and I was drawn to him. You know, I had a great and still do have a great relationship with Ross, so it was a shock. Um, probably didn't prepare myself for someone different again. Uh, you just expect that it's you know, going to be a similar message or whatever and the team was changing so much as well, which probably compounded the fact, you know, come off four or five finals campaigns. We lost that game to Sydney in 2011, but we had a lot of young guys that needed to play because we couldn't keep rolling out the same blokes week after week and you know, keep losing probably, which, which, which was even worse. So the whole place was different. The whole place was different. Um, there's things that Scotty Waters did that I don't agree with, I, you know, coaching-wise, um, communication-wise, um, all of those sort of things, and that was just my take on it. I just didn't – I would have done it differently, not that I was ever a coach or I've never been a senior coach in that sort of manner, but from my experiences from what I'd been doing for the previous 10 or so years, it was just different. Um Never had any conflict, never had any, you know, real issues. That led into Goddard leaving the end of 2012, I think that it was. So that was sort of the start of it. And, you know, you get conflicting stories about why BJ's moved on and they're, you know, completely different from one person to another, just depending on who you ask. Um, and then 2013 was my last year as well so that was that final game against Rossi coincidentally against Frio where we had that celebration game where Rossi brought over an under 18 team and we thumped them at um, Eddie Hatt Stadium it was Jason Blake, Cozzy and Milne's last game and um, as I walked off the ground I just had a feeling that it might be my last game as well I still had a year left on a contract and I just felt like they were trying to make some moves behind the scenes and just trying to Change it up a little bit, and I had a tiny bit of value on the market, so they were trying to get something in return, which I saw also understand. You know, I've seen a lot of mates come and go over the years, and it just happened to be my turn that um, that was in the best thing for the football club, and I ultimately agreed to it. Um, I didn't raise it; it wasn't my suggestion to say, "Hey, how about I change football clubs?" But when it was sort of bubbling away, and you're getting you know information about possible trades and, and all that sort of stuff, then. Um, yeah, we agreed to it. And to be to be honest, I never thought I'd leave the Saints. But then by saying that, my three years at the Kangas, I absolutely loved as well. So it's all worked out okay. Yeah, I think um, on that, there are players that leave clubs with ill feeling. I don't think you were one of those. I think the majority of Saints fans kind of understood that, where you were at, where the club was at. And and you didn't leave with any ill feelings and obviously nearly won a flag at North as well with a, a couple of prelim runs there in, in 14 and 15. The, the last one from me, were you, did you always feel you'd gravitate back to St Kilda? Obviously, you'd still have guys at North that you played footy with, like Goldstein and, and Terrence and these sorts of players. And, and do you think yeah. maybe more when they're gone and the immediate mates aren't there anymore that, that it was always going to be the case that you'd, you'd gravitate back? Um I, yeah, I probably wasn't – probably is the answer. I, I didn't know I'd be back working at the footy club, so I'm the head coach of the Saints Academy, so the young boys that are coming through and girls. Um, so it's nice to have an affiliation, which probably gives you more of a, a bond and relationship to, um, you know, my first 12 years of my career. So I loved my time at the Kangas. You know, a great group of guys, um, loved Brad Scott as a coach. Um, a few of the guys I still keep in touch with. You know, it's good to it, – Probably in hindsight, it's good to see a different way as well. You know, you you get caught up in your little bubble and you think you're the only one training hard and you're not, you know, you don't know how everybody else goes about it. But I love my time with the Kangas. 
good group of guys, really embracing um, had a couple of really good training camps with them and all the things that I'd sort of experienced at the Saints as well. The only difference was is I hadn't grown up with them. You know, I was, I think I was 30 when I went there, had our first child halfway through that first year or maybe towards the back end of that first year. Don't quote me, I'm trying to get my years right here. But I just touched on how uh, earlier on, how early days at the Saints, we did everything together. The Kangaroo boys did, but they were the younger guys. So I was finishing training and, and I trained as hard as I could. I did everything I could to prepare and to help and, you know, pay, being part of the leadership group and all those sort of things. But sort of when footy was finished, I had responsibilities at home, which I hadn't had at the Saints. So it was sort of a completely different dynamic. And I think deep down, it's a, it's a fact, my best mates were, are always St Kilda guys. And still to this day, and you speak about that bond, I knew that I'd be drawn back to that. And then had a really good relationship and still do with Amit Baines, who's now at the Western Bulldogs. So he was at the Saints for a few years where we crossed over and I always had a great relationship with him. And then when I finished up at the Kangas, he gave me a call and said, hey, there's this new thing coming into the AFL called the Academy System, Next Generation. Do you want to be involved? So we caught up for a coffee and that's sort of how I got straight back into St Kilda off the back of uh, finishing up at the Kangas. I was going to ask you as... Most people know you're more in the media at the moment and on the yeah, TV, radio, everything. When when you were getting to the point of finishing up, was there the thought in one side of the head, oh, I might look towards coaching, the other side going, no, media looks all right. Yeah. Is, is there a way that you were sort of leaning to at any point first? I still have moments of that probably now. Like I, I love what I do with the Saints boys. Um, I've also done some stuff with the AFL Academy, so the under-17 Australian team. And it's that sense of connection. You know, you, you belong to something. You know, you, you wear all the apparel, but it's you can't see it or feel it. But, sorry, you can't always see it or touch it. You can, it's a feeling that you have. And football clubs are, are rare in that sense. They, they just have a feeling of belonging and a purpose. So I have that moment every now and then, even when I'm coaching these young guys, thinking, geez, I'd love to do this every day. I'd love to see these kids, you know, from nine to five. And um, they're still at school, so I'm not allowed to do that. We see after hours. But you talk about getting involved with, you know, the men's program, for example. I think I would love it, absolutely love it. Um, I feel like I could help or, or give, you know, something. And I probably need to be a little bit more educated and probably take more, um, you know, learn more about the game. But by saying that, I love what I do in the media as well. So it's, uh, I feel like I've got a nice little balance at the moment of I love analysing the game, I love watching the game, you know, I love being on the boundary, you know, when you get to watch a game up close, I love commentating from the from the box and having a great perspective of the ground. And then I also like just having a toe in the water with the Saints just to be a part of that and, and try and help these young guys coming through. So the balance at the moment, I've got three young kids as well, Um so it's at the moment I, I, I'm just happy with what I'm currently doing. Just love love the lifestyle that it gives. But by saying that, I'd never rule out coaching because as soon as you get in, and whatever club doesn't have to be footy, whatever club you get involved in, it's it's infectious. You just want to, you know, there's no nine to five. It's just whatever it is, whatever you need, I'm here for you. And that's what it was like as a player. And I reckon that's what it's like as a coach as well. You mentioned that first game, kind of being down by 100 points and, and being on the bench and, and having a big smile on your face. And I think you you played your entire career a bit like that. You always seem to play with a smile on your face and look like you're having fun. And, and I think as fans, we all, always thought that you played footy the right way and and that you always enjoyed playing footy. But over your, your 15 years, there are obviously some, some well-publicised down 
moments in, in that period. Was there any moment either on the field or off the field that you just went, shit, I don't want to do this anymore? Like, this is too much? Um, not that I ever wanted to quit. Absolutely not. Definitely had moments and got dropped in 2008, which was one of the, you know, the down times. It was almost before I got dropped because once I got dropped, I was I actually felt like I came back. You know, I'm not saying it was the catalyst for us to turn around as a team, but it was a little bit of a, a reality check for me. Um, but I've been playing some poor footy leading into that 2008. Um, that was about mid year 2008, and we've been playing poor as a team. So, um, was it warranted? Maybe, probably. You know, yes, I've often joked it's the only mistake Ross Lyons ever made was dropping me and doing everything else he's done was pretty good. Um, no, I never thought about quitting. Absolutely not. And even down to the last moment where North Melbourne basically delisted me and said there's no spot for you next year. I, if they, if Brad Scott had said to me, you know, there's a 12-month contract, absolutely I would have taken it. Um, there was definitely times where I felt like, oh, maybe I'm just not that good. You know, maybe... Um, you know, the years that I've had that were good and all Australian years, not that they were a fluke, but maybe I can't replicate that again. But then you also have those moments like if I do the work, if I dig in and show some resilience and the feedback that I've been getting, you know, people care about me and people in the footy club think that I've got some value for them, you sort of just get back to work. Now, I never thought ever about walking away or retiring. I just had moments of, you know, I need to switch on here. I need to, you know, either need to have a massive pre-season, um, need to have a really good week on the track because my game the previous week was poor. Whatever it may have been was always that. I was probably more optimistic is how I felt. If I, I knew that if I did the work, that I had the ability that I'd be okay in the long run. After you and Mill Murdoch probably was the turning point. I think St Kilda won 48 of the next 60 after you came That's back right. in, which was yeah, a phenomenal run. But, but Nick, as... Uh, as Nick was saying, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're one of the um, one of the great players to watch. I think uh, you're always compared to sort of the Mark War of football, which is always a, a compliment. Um, yeah, it's been great having you on. It was fantastic watching you play, and uh, it's been uh, really enjoyable watching the media journey. So uh, thanks very much for stopping by. I appreciate you having me, guys. It's nice to hear from loyal, long-serving Saints supporters. So uh, I appreciate the chat. Hopefully there was just a little bit of insight that, it's actually nice for me to go a little walk down memory lane and bring up some of those emotions again. It's, um, it's good to be a part of it. Thanks for your time too.